Hello and welcome to ZSL's Wild Science Podcast. I'm Moni Böhm, researcher here at the Zoological Society of London's Institute of Zoology. And today, because it's nice and sunny outside, we're heading to the sea in search of flat sharks. Flat sharks, I hear you say? What's a flat shark? Well, I assume it's a particularly one-dimensional shark. A shark that doesn't hit the high notes, maybe. Or maybe it's just a bit like a flat white, but with a little less shark and more espresso served at a pop-up in Shoreditch. Well, in this podcast, we'll find out about flat sharks and their conservation. And given that I've already used up all my flat shark material in less than 30 seconds, it's my great pleasure to introduce my co-host for today, Rosie Williams. Hi, Rosie. Hi. Rosie is a PhD student here at the Institute of Zoology and thankfully knows a thing or two about marine life. In fact, I hear that Rosie likes to freedive, so she is essentially half human, half porpoise, which incidentally is your study animal, is that right? <laughs> yes, it is. Perhaps I need to pay a bit more attention to my work-life balance and spend less time channeling my inner porpoise. But I'm looking forward to learning more about flat sharks today, as most of my time is spent studying whales, dolphins and porpoises. I work very closely with the Cetacean Strandings Investigation Programme here at ZSL, looking at the impact of chemical pollution on our UK population of whales, dolphins and porpoises. But I'm generally interested in marine conservation. Excellent. And so in your freediving career, have you ever come across flat sharks? Yes, I have actually. I've been lucky enough to see my fair share of both flat and three-dimensional sharks. And it's made me realise that they're quite a diverse bunch. I've seen rays that can give you a 220-volt electric shock, others that have a wingspan up to seven metres wide, and I've seen flat sharks named after musical instruments and hand tools like the guitar fish and sawfish. And they look exactly as you'd imagine them to look. So I've been pretty impressed with my flat shark encounters so far. So there's a flat shark that looks like a guitar? There is. There is. It's uh, the bow-mouthed guitar fish, I think. The bow-mouthed guitar I fish? Think, I think that's what it's called. But I think there might be more than one species of guitar shark. Excellent. Thankfully, we have other guests here who will help us shed light on what flat sharks are. I was about to say what flat whites are. Admittedly, I still don't entirely know. What is a flat white? I have no idea. With us now are Ali Hood and Kat Gordon from the Shark Trust. Ali, I suppose most people think three-dimensional when they hear the word shark. So what are flat sharks? Well, flat sharks are direct relatives of the more traditional round sharks, as you, as you mentioned. And it really depends where you want to stop your definition. Uh, traditionally, people will consider the flat sharks as the ray family, which encompasses rays, skates, sawfish, guitarfish, wedgefish. And that's at least 630-odd species. So Rosie and I, we were already briefly talking about the guitar shark. What was that name again that you had, Rosie? Was it the, the guitar? Bowmouth guitar. Bowmouth guitar fish. fish. Is that? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I got it right. Okay. <laughs> so well done. <laughs> it's an absolutely remarkable species. So I think the guitar fishes and the wedge fishes, they're, they're species that really need more focus these days. So whereas they may not be the most threatened species, if you look at the threat categorization of chondrichthyon fish of the shark skates, rays, and chimera, it's actually the flat sharks that come out worse. So five of the seven most threatened families of chondrichthyon fish are flat sharks. The most threatened family is uh, the sawfish. And you can then bring the angel shark in there as well as the sixth of those seven most threatened species. So doing more research into the time wedge fish is incredibly important. So thanks, now we've uh, touched on conservation for flat sharks. Kat, could you tell me what are the main threats to flat sharks? 
So a lot of the, um, the flat sharks are quite large-bodied species. They're coastal species, which leaves them open to kind of inshore fisheries. So quite often they're caught as bycatch, whether that's wanted or unwanted. There'll be target fisheries for them as well. So they're, they're neat and their fins are both highly sought after. So what does the Shark Trust do to help these flat sharks? I think we can take that from a number of different objectives. The Shark Trust works on wildlife protection, so that would encompass activities with angel sharks, sawfishes. Um, we work on fisheries management for the more productive species, such as the skates and rays, particularly in European waters, looking at skate fisheries where there is scope for sustainability. And then we also look at responsible consumer demand. And then another aspect of that is the citizen science, and that's where a lot of the work that Kat's involved with comes in. Great, so there's something that we can do as the general public to help flat sharks. What might that be? Can you explain to us how people can help? To yeah, so um, general public can get involved with shark conservation simply by reporting back what they're seeing and what they're, what they're finding. So whether they've been out on a boat during the day and they've seen a shark, whether they've sighted them from the cliff tops, whether they've been diving and seen an, an angel shark or a skate array or any of the more traditional sharks as well, um, or just walking along the beach as well. So we at the Shark Trust run a project called the Great Egg Case Hunt and that's geared up to get people out and about on their local beach and to look for mermaid's purses. So these are the egg cases from skate and from some species of shark, mainly the, the cat sharks. So you can find one of these mermaid's purses, you can use our identification resources, whether it's the ID guide or the app or the website, you can identify what it is that you found and then you can submit that reporting to us and that way we can get a good idea of distribution and diversity um, around our coastline. We've got over 70 species or so of sharks, skates and rays in UK waters so we've got a great diversity of species. Mermaid's Passes, that's an excellent name. Can you explain yeah. for the benefit of our listeners who might not quite know what they look like? What do they look like? They kind of look like seaweed. You'll get a lot of people who say, I've always thought that was seaweed growing up. I never knew that the sharks, skates or rays came out of them. So depending on species, the size, the features on them will vary. So the shark ones in the UK, they tend to be quite kind of oblong in shape and they've got curly tendrils at either end, which are used to attach them onto seaweed. If it's a skate or a ray egg case, they've got a pointed horn on each corner. So those ones are kind of normally laid on the seabed or kind of wedged into rocky crevices and things. So you can tell quite quickly whether it's a shark or whether it's a, a skate egg case. So for everybody who hasn't had enough of the Easter egg hunt, get involved in... Absolutely, yeah. Egg case hunting, is there like a particular time of year that's best for it? You can do it all year round, so the egg cases that wash up might not necessarily be freshly hatched ones that have washed up, they could have been lying on the seabed for, for quite a long time. So after stormy weather is often good, so kind of spring and autumn storms will kind of bring up um, a lot more kind of flotsam and jetsam onto the strand line, but generally all year round we'll get kind of good level of, of records submitted to us. So Molly still gets confused between flat sharks and flat whites. <laughs> How do we uh, start to raise the profile of flat sharks to clear up that confusion and make sure that flat sharks are covered on the conservation agenda? Well, I think we need both. Um, one of the things about working in this sector, shark trust being advocates for conservation of all shark species, but we've always had a strong place in our work for the flat sharks, is that you need a lot of coffee, so <laughs> you need a good flat white, because it takes commitment and dedication and continued optimism that there is opportunity to make progress and we are making progress 
the networks that are being developed and the capacity that's being generated and the understanding in everything from domestic management to international regulation that these species are vitally in need of protection, that they may not have had the profile of the more charismatic large sharks in the past, but they are fascinating. And that's everything from the more iconic mantas and, and sawfishes down to the, the skates that we have off the coast here. They all have a place in the ecosystem. They're all equally important. And they, there really is so much that we can do to secure their future. I suppose, finally, we can't really let you go without asking, what's your favourite flat shark, Ali? If I had to pick one Sorry. from here in the UK, I would look to the undulate ray. The undulate ray is a stunning, visually a stunning species. It looks like a dreamtime painting on a skate, well, it's a skate, not a ray, canvas. It's a species that is at the extreme of its distribution and the concern for its future led to a closure of its fishery, generated so much new scientific research, including the fishing industry, that it then enabled us to understand that we could take it out of prohibition, work on a small scale with local fisheries to have an, an appropriate level fishery. So it's a sort of a poster scape for what can be done and it also lays some great egg cases. So it's the undulate ray. And that leads me to my other question. What's your favourite mermaid's purse, Cam? <laughs> I'm going to go for flapper skates. It's more of a mermaid's handbag than a mermaid's purse. <laughs> oh, they, are, they are huge. The flapper skate is a species that gets to about three metres long, so equally their egg case has to be quite large. This is a critically endangered species, but here in the UK, if you go up to Orkney, you're tripping over their egg cases on some of the beaches up there. And it's hard to try and explain that this is critically endangered and it's a really unique situation where those egg cases are being found and you could go anywhere else in the country, even the world, and you're not likely to find them in, in those numbers. So I was fortunate enough to go to Orkney a couple of years ago for, for the great egg case hunt. And yeah, was kind of, I can still remember my excitement at finding my first one. So um, yeah, I think that one, uh, that one tipped it for me. <laughs> how, how huge is huge? Yeah, I mean, when, they, when they're dry, they're, they're slightly smaller, so if you soak them, they become hydrated and they kind of return to their original state, but they're bigger than the, the, the whole of your hand. Oh. Um, so, yeah, they are, they are quite a large egg case. And does each handbag or egg case hold one egg? It does, yeah. G um, generally, most egg cases would have one, one embryo inside it. There's a few species, like the big skate, that can have multiple embryos, but generally it would just be, for most species, it's just one inside each one. Excellent, thank you very much, guys. Right, so it's probably time to learn about a very specific case of flat shark conservation. Our next guest is Cedarsal's very own Jo Barker. Hi, Jo. Hello. She has worked in the marine and freshwater conservation team here at Cedarsal for the last five years. And she's currently leading Cedarsal's work on European elasmobranch conservation and probably also has a favorite flat shark. Jo, tell us, what is your favorite flat shark? Obviously, the angel shark. It's the species I've been studying for the last four years. We set up a angel shark conservation project back in 2013 as a partnership between ZSL, the Zoological Research Museum in Bonn, Germany, and the University of Las Palmas in Gran Canaria to better protect the angel shark Scrutina scrutina. Does that mean you get to go to the Canaries a lot? It does. I'm very lucky. Are um, you taking one for the team there? I mean, for you. <laughs> 
Yeah, lots of my friends say, oh, going out to the Canaries again, enjoying that sunshine. But I do I think if there's anyone in my office who sees the state that I'm in when I return, they realise that it is quite hard work. Angel sharks are more active at night, so most of our field work actually is in night time. And then we do office work, funding proposals, meeting fishers, meeting divers during the day. So it's pretty full on when you're out there. I'm afraid I still don't feel too sorry for you, but fair enough. So Joe, what are the main threats that angel sharks face? So angel sharks are a particularly interesting group of sharks, mainly because they have increased susceptibility to both fishing pressure and coastal degradation, so degradation of the habitats, because they're a coastal flat shark. They like to spend the majority of their time on the seabed, very close because they're ambush predators, so they stay on the seabed and therefore they're more likely to be caught in things like trawling and other fishing gear. And they're also very close to shore, which means that some of their most important habitats are in very shallow waters, very close to developments or other different habitat changes which are happening in our oceans. I have a vague memory of you once telling me that in the Canaries, some of the sand is imported because tourists don't particularly like the black volcanic sand. And I recall that there was an unintended consequence for angel sharks. Could you remind me what that was again? It was either that or a really weird dream. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a really interesting one. The Canary Islands, one of their biggest industries is tourism. So they rely on uh, lots of tourists, mainly from West Europe, going over to the Canary Islands for their sunshine. And the government have been putting sand onto beaches, making modified beaches since the 1980s, so going quite back a period of time. And normally it's white sandy, white coloured sand, golden coloured sand that you get in the postcards. But interestingly, these very modified habitats, um, they often put breakwaters in, which are large structures going to the sea to make a beach calmer, reduce the currents, again, so that it's safer for children to bathe in, etc. We've actually found that adult angel sharks are going in to give birth in these areas and juveniles are using them as nursery areas. What's interesting for us is that we've started this project almost five years ago now and we haven't got data prior to that of where angel sharks were and weren't. So it might be that these new beaches were made on top of previously important angel shark habitat or the angel sharks are attracted to this different coloured sand. We don't know. We're working on it. So they might like the picture-perfect sand too, yeah. as well as the tourists. Yeah, they might do. We have a, a joke that there seems to be a correlation with the number of tourists and pink people on a beach and the number of angel sharks we find that <laughs> night. <laughs> so, one of our research lines. <laughs> I suppose a few more trips to the Canaries and, you know, you'll find out. So, how are angel sharks doing at the moment and how is the angel shark project trying to help them? So, the angel shark project, we really set up as a multidisciplinary project. We want to do the scientific research. The three of us who founded it are research scientists as a, as a start, but we're also conservationists. So we do research, we work with the key water users, and we also work really closely with a whole range of stakeholders, including the government in both the Canary Islands and in Spain, to drive legislative change to better protect the species. We really feel that having that kind of three, four-pronged approach means that conservation can actually happen. You need to have the water users engaged in the work. You need to know about your species to be able to give the right advice to government to better protect it. So now I'm really excited. We've spent the first few years building up the project, um, developing different initiatives, 
And a big turning point for us was in 2016 when we did a big action planning process. We got all stakeholders involved, put them in a room together for four days and didn't let them leave. And together we identified the major threats to angel sharks, but the main activities we can do to reduce those threats. And that, for me, was a big turning point in our project. And we're now on to the stage delivering that action plan. So what are the results of the work so far? So far, we're working very closely with the diving community to better understand angel shark distribution. We found that angel sharks are distributed across the archipelago, but there seems to be particular hotspots for angel sharks to occur. We've also started with our visual ID tagging work, seeing some sort of seasonal movement where, for example, large, what we presume are pregnant female angel sharks are returning to the same sites at very similar times each year potentially showing some site fidelity for pupping. And is that again where the pink people are? Quite a lot of cases there are. (laughs) And so we're starting to really drive down that really basic ecology. When we started, no one was working on angel sharks. So some of the key questions of where are they, how many are there, why are they there? I know it sounds simple, but that's what we're trying to crack. No, that's really cool. And has there not also been news about more regular sightings of angel sharks in Wales, or, well, not in Wales, on the Welsh coast. Yeah, so They're not going to be the Brecon Beacons. <laughs> not quite the Brecon Beacons. But, no, it is really exciting. So the angel shark Scotina Scotina used to be present in huge abundance across the eastern Atlantic and Mediterranean Sea. And what we identified was this last stronghold of the Canary Islands. However, the more we find out about it, there's pockets of smaller populations which we're finding more about. And Wales is one of those really important last refuges of the angel shark. And we're really excited that we've just secured funding to deliver a Wales angel shark project from the Welsh Government and Heritage Lottery Fund. So we're hopefully in the next few years going to find an awful lot more about this population. Congratulations, that's really exciting that we've got our own population of angel sharks in Wales. How are you monitoring the species there currently? So we we did a scoping project, a a very small pilot in the summer of last year, alongside our partners there and Natural Resources Wales. It's very much looking at it in a different than the traditional scientific methods. We're working with local communities, gathering their information and their memories for when angel sharks used to be much more abundant and using that historical data collection to really hone in on where historically angel sharks were very common. What is a really strong point of that Welsh work is working with the fishing community. They're vital because those fishers are the people who are most likely to encounter angel sharks today. And they don't target angel sharks, it's very important to note. They do, during their normal fishing activity, they may accidentally encounter an angel shark. And it's those accidental encounters which are super exciting and part of the vital research that we're going to be moving on with. That's great, thank you very much Joe. No problem. Our next guest is Stuart Hetherington. Stuart is a senior marine biologist at the Centre for Environment, Fisheries and Aquaculture Science, or for short CFAS. He is also a specialist tagging operative, which sounds very cool Stuart. So tell us, what does a specialist tagging operative do? So in my case it means that I get to go out on boats with fishermen, so commercial fishers, and tag sharks, skates and rays with electronic data storage tags. That sounds really cool. (laughs) Have you deployed any of these on any species of flat shark? Yes, so at the moment we have a tagging programme on common skate, 
and we go out with commercial fishers, sometimes up to seven, eight days at a time. We normally go out of the southwest of the UK on a big netting vessel. We steam out and we can be at sea for quite a while, which can be really fun, but if the weather's bad, can also sometimes be not so fun. We can see um, quite a few common skate and we tag them with electronic data storage tags, which record temperature, um, time and depth. Great, so what is the idea or motivation behind the fisher-led research on common skate? Okay, so we're trying to find more about or find out more about common scape. So they're what we call a data deficient species. So compared to like cod and place, uh, where we know quite a lot about those species, we know comparatively less of common scape and other shark scapes and rates. And so in order to inform more appropriate management of those species and to conserve and manage them in different ways appropriate to the species, we first need to find out more about them. And are the fishermen quite happy to cooperate with you on this? Yes, obviously sometimes there has to be an incentive for them to cooperate, but we've worked hard with the fishermen down in the southwest of the UK from about 2011. Um, so at first, sometimes quite a lot of the different stakeholders, including the fishermen, could be quite passionate, shall we say. Um, but again, it's all about education and understanding one another's drivers, where we're all trying to get to, what is the end game, what is the goal. In the case of the fishermen and some scientists and NGOs, etc., the, the end goal can quite often be the same, which is to find out more about that species and for there to be more appropriate management, albeit different drivers, same goal. Do you actually use CCTV on board of fishing vessels as well? We do. So that's something I find really interesting. I can just imagine it's not you know, the, the most exciting or exhilarating job to trawl through CCTV footage. I suppose it depends what floats your boat, but sometimes <laughs> you can see really interesting things. So we don't necessarily look at all of the footage, so we'll look at a percentage of them, we'll randomly sample. Normally is one way that we do it. Um, if we have to look at the whole trip, for example, or sometimes we'll ask the fisherman to uh, record exactly what he saw on different hauls for different species. So then we can just look at those particular hauls to validate the fisherman's information to kind of give it a scientific rigor. So it's not endless TV viewing then? It can be for some people, but it doesn't have to be, no. <laughs> okay, cool. We've asked everyone so far, so uh, we can't let you go without this question. Stuart, what's your favourite flat shark? I suppose it has to be the common skate, but that's probably because the common skate is known as the common skate complex, so it's actually two species, not one. So it's a little bit more interesting than most. What's a species complex? Oh, no, that's a tricky one. A complex species? It is complex. So the common skate is made up at the moment of two species. So they were um, separate species, and we're counting until separate until about the 1920s. And they were brought together in about 2009, 2010, it was published that the common skate complex is made up of the blue skate, and it's the common name, and the other common name is flapper skate. And they have a different range, and sometimes they live in roughly the same ocean area, but they are two different species and they've been confused, they've been confuzzled, and they've been put together. So that just makes their appropriate management that much harder because they can be very different types of skate. A good answer as well because you've managed to actually choose your two favourite flat oh, sharks. Yeah, good point. Thank you very much, Stuart. So Rosie, what's your favourite flat shark? I'm going to tell you mine if you tell me yours. Well, that's a very tough question, but I think for me it has to be the knife tooth sawfish. It's like part shark, part unicorn, part hacksaw. What more could you want?
Is it also part elf and part hobbit and lives in Middle Earth? It certainly looks that way. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I think mine has to be the spotted shovel nose Ray because, frankly, I just want to make a stand against extreme body shaming of already flat sharks. And, frankly, it's already vulnerable on the IUCN red list. I think that's a very valid reason. Right, so what have we learned today, Rosie? Well, I certainly feel a lot more clued up on flat sharks, their threats, and the great work that's going on to protect them and learn more about them. And I think I also learned that they're actually not at all like flat whites. No, definitely not. I mean, we've learned about the egg case hunt, we've learned about our very own angel sharks and whales, and special ops skate tagging. That's true, we learned that the egg cases are called mermaids' purses, and that we can all join in, in finding out more about these amazing sharks by joining the egg case hunt, and you can find out more about this at eggcase.org. And also that here at ZSL we have our very own angel shark project. And in case you sight an angel shark, there's an angel shark sightings map that you can go and visit on angelsharknetwork.com. So there's a lot of resources already out there around flat shark conservation. And I suppose we also learned that working with fishermen, working with government and tourism, and also using the latest technology is really vital if we want to conserve these charismatic species. And I suppose all that's left for us to say is, well, flat sharks, they might be flat by name, flat by nature, but they're definitely charismatic nonetheless. And with this, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you all next time. Thanks.